If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Turn me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. I'll begin reading in verse 1 for context. Romans 4. The majority of our time will be in Romans 4, verses 9 through 12, discussing those who are blessed. Those who are blessed. Romans 4, beginning in verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as Righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is a man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteous would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So, we live, we live in a time in history in which the majority believe that we must have and give our opinion on everything, and this includes those who call themselves Christians. We have Google, so we can learn a little bit of everything from everyone, along with plenty of social media platforms, so that we can give and express our opinions. In fact, some of us must give our opinions or post something of our life to get through the day. Our resources Now, in our society, they are endless, just like our opinions. With us having access to more and more with each passing day, compared to the rest of history, the church today has way more than it ever has. I recently read an article by Tim Challies entitled, 40 Random Pieces of Advice for the Christian life, and over the last few weeks, I have come back to this article over and over again, specifically concerning one thing. He said this, understand that you don't need to have an opinion about everyone and everything. In fact, it is a mark of maturity to deliberately not have opinions about things that don't concern you and things you don't know about. In this life, we can easily live being a jack-of-all-trades while being a master of nothing. There are things in which God's children need to discuss, things in which we need to talk about, but there are also things in which we would be wise if we just kept our mouth shut. 
we would all no doubt, no doubt, do better to come before the Lord praying about all things. Now, in Paul's letter to those in Rome, this should not be a letter that is to be lost by us. This letter cannot be afforded that you and I keep our mouth closed. We need to talk about this letter in which we find the clearest and fullest expression of the good news of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we will become consumed with the things of this world if we don't spend time in the light of His Holy Word. This past week, I watched a 50-minute discussion of six men and women talking about current issues. Black Lives Matter, gay marriage, hermeneutics, the authority of God's Word, just to name a few things that were discussed. They all knew what they believed, but many had different starting points. If you are a Christian, your starting point is always to be God's holy Word. That is your starting point. God saved you by His grace through faith in Christ, and God has instructed you in one source, His Holy Word. If someone comes up to you and says, I have a word for you, if it's not backed with Scripture reference, don't listen to it. The Holy Bible teaches that we are everything that you and I are to believe concerning God and our duty. The 1689 puts it this way, the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient certain and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Therefore, we must go to Scripture to know what we believe and why we believe what we believe. If the Scriptures are not your starting point for what you believe, you have placed yourself as king of your life, denying the one true living God. So Christian, God's holy word has authority over your life. It is God-breathed. And there are consequences if you ignore it and you go your own way. One example of what we hear so much about today is the blessed life. What is the blessed life? Is it asking for more? Is it, is it getting more? Is it wanting more? Is it comfort? Is it convenience? What is the blessed life? As a Christian, the answer to this question is found in God's Word alone. There is one God, and He is all-knowing. He has spoken, and He has preserved His Word for us to know Him and for us to cherish Him. And in fact, every word that God has breathed, we are to cherish. 2 Timothy 3, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. So the words we look at today, they are profitable. These words that we are looking at today, they are to be taught by us, they correct us, and they correct those who think differently. The words found in Romans 4, they train us in righteousness so that we will be competent and equipped for every good work. So to understand the blessed life, it is good for us to be reminded of what Paul said in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God 
for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, meaning in it the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So the gospel means good news. And God's gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, I am emphasizing God's gospel, not man's gospel, for a reason. Because if we go to the Word of God for everything, we have to go to the Word of God to know what the gospel is. So, so many people, they get the gospel wrong. God's gospel, it alone is good news. Paul has discussed God's wrath the truth that all are sinners, that we need a righteousness outside of ourselves, an alien righteousness in which we are to be found acceptable to God. And it's only through this alien righteousness that we are acceptable to God. And this righteousness is only found in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The righteousness of Jesus, it takes away our guilt, our guilt of sin, as well as the wrath of God. But if we walk away from our study of Romans uttering the words, this is only about justification, we have missed other important truths as well. Number one, we need to be reminded of God's justification of sinners through Jesus Christ alone. We need to constantly be reminded of this. This should come up in our conversations with those in our household, with with our husbands, with our wives, with our children, with our neighbors. We need to constantly be reminded how we are justified before a holy God. Number two, but we also need to enjoy God's gift of faith. The truth of the faith that God gives, that faith, it grabs hold of Christ and his righteousness. That we are counted as righteous because of God's gracious gift of faith. And number three, let us not also miss that if we are saved, we are blessed. If we are saved, we are blessed. We are blessed in the here and the now, and we are blessed for all of eternity. The study of blessing is where we will spend our time today. Being forgetful people, we need the reminder that we are blessed because we belong to Christ. We are in Christ. Look at Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. And note how many times you hear the word blessing or blessed. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. In this blessing, then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised. We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before He was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose 
was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So in Romans 4, verses 6 through 9, Paul uses the word blessing twice, as well as the word blessed twice. So four verses in a row, he uses the word blessing or blessed. Now, blessed means happy, content, or well off. So in context here, which we always want to read God's word in context, the blessed man, woman, youth, or child is the one who is saved, the one whose faith is grabbing hold of the righteousness of Christ. The blessed soul has joy and peace that is found in the good news of Jesus. So when you and I, when we stop and we slow down and we step back, yes, we can come before the table together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can lay everything out on the table and we can realize that you and I are a bunch of sinners and we have a bunch of problems, don't we? We can talk about our marriage, we can talk about our children, we can talk about our parenting, we can talk about our job, we can talk about our struggles with sin, our fight against sin. Absolutely. But we also need to stop and set aside and back up and really think about the truth that if we are in Christ, we are blessed. No matter the trial, the hardship that we are struggling with right now, no matter what we're going to go through in the future, God has given us a promise. He has called us his own. No one can snatch us out of his hand. We are blessed. This brings us to the first of three points concerning those who are blessed. Number one. The blessed life is the redeemed life. The blessed life is the redeemed life. It is a blessing of being counted righteous. What we were is in the past. What we were is in the past. We were an enemy of God. We were dead in our sin. We were guilty and under God's just and righteous wrath, but this is no longer true if we are in Christ. The blessed life is a redeemed life because you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. You have been born again to a living hope. The blessed life is a redeemed life because our lawless deeds are forgiven, our sin is covered. When you hear the word lawless deeds, I don't know what comes to mind. But picture this. That without faith in Christ, you have no good works. Now you may be thinking, well, what about those who like give millions of dollars to charity? Are those good things? I'm not denying that those are good things, but before a holy God, that is not a good work. If you don't have faith in Christ, you cannot please God in anything. It is impossible. The blessed life is the redeemed life. Because our lawless deeds are 
forgiven. Our sin, our sin is covered. The blessed life is one whom God looks upon and does not count their sin. They've been removed as far as the east is from the west. The blessed life is redeemed life. Number two, the blessed life is for all who believe. The blessed life is for all who believe. Verse 5 of Romans 4. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So the one who has been given the gift of faith, believe in Christ, and they continue to believe. The gift of faith does that. The gift of faith by God, that person will believe in Christ, and that person will continue to believe. It's called perseverance of the saints. Those who believe in Christ, he justifies. This is what's so amazing. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, justifies the ungodly. How we need to be reminded that we are ungodly. You see, to be justified before a holy God, it is our, our faith that grabs hold of the righteousness of Christ. It's not grabbing hold of our righteousness. It's grabbing hold of the righteousness of Christ. The Christians are the ungodly who are justified by Christ. Christians are the ones who are counted as righteous. Look at verses 9 through 11 of our main text. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Now, when we start talking about uncircumcision and circumcision, sometimes you can have your mind so fixated on history that you think, this is really boring stuff. Like maybe you're sitting there like, why are we still talking about this? Just, just keep in mind historically, not even then, but even now for us historically, the majority of people in this world who call themselves Christians are not counting on the righteousness of Christ for their salvation alone. The majority of people in this world are counting on the righteousness of Christ plus something else. It's always plus something else. And when you get into conversations, they will be telling you in evangelistic conversations, you'll be talking with them, and they will be looking at you, and they will say, yes, man, I sure hope I make it. I sure hope I get in. And as a evangelical Christian, I'm thinking, well, I know I'm getting in. Because my salvation is not based on anything that I have done or will do. But here, it says in verse 9, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So the blessed life is for all who believe, circumcised or uncircumcised. Jew or Greek, it does not matter. Faith is counted as righteous, not because of any work of ours, but because of God's gift of faith that grabs hold of the righteousness of Christ. So Abraham, the father of the faithful, the one to whom God made a promise, was not counted righteous after his circumcision. Abraham, 
Abraham was not counted righteous and blessed, not because of any work that he did. Abraham's circumcision did not save him and was not the reason that he was counted as blessed. Circumcision was a sign and seal signaling that all need spiritual cleansing, which is accomplished by faith in Christ, and it's not accomplished in the flesh. You see, if it's accomplished in the flesh, we don't need Christ. Not accomplished in the flesh. Signs. Signs represent and instruct. Seals. Seals confirm. Trimper Longman III put it this way, the sign was a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So what Abraham... What made Abraham a blessed man was God's gracious gift of faith to him. A work of God and not a work of man. In Genesis chapters 15, 16, and 17, we are told of some key historical dates concerning the life of Abraham. So if you write these down, Genesis 17 verse 1 informs us, Genesis 17 1 informs us that Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. He was 99. Abraham was declared righteous before his son Ishmael was born, according to Genesis 15, verse 6. But at the time of Ishmael's birth, Abraham was 86 years old, according to Genesis 16, verse 6. So conclusion here, Abraham was counted righteous at least 14 years before he was circumcised. 14 years. Abraham was counted righteous before he was circumcised. Verses 11 and 12 of our main text explain this purpose. Why was this the case? Why why did this happen? The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness will be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Abraham is a father of all who believe and are circumcised. And Abraham is a father of all who believe without being circumcised. He is a father of all believing Jews. And Abraham is a father of all believing Greeks. So Abraham is the father of those who have faith in Christ. This is so important. I remember growing up in a church and singing it over and over again, and sometimes I find myself singing it, and I have no idea where it came from. The words, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so were you. So let us praise the Lord. And I started singing that this week as I started reading over this again and again and again and again. And it was just a beautiful reminder to me personally. I am one of that. I am a son of Abraham, not because of anything that I have done, not anything that I will do. I am a son of Abraham because of what God has done. That Abraham is the father of those who have faith in Christ And maybe you're saying, well, how did Abraham know it was Christ? Well, he didn't. He trusted in the promise that God made in Genesis 3, verse 15. Abraham trusted. He was looking forward 
to saying, I know what God has said he will do. I am trusting in the fact that God will do it. We're looking backward because God has already done it. Paul is just expanding on what he has already said in Romans. In Romans 2, 28 and 29, Paul already declared to them, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Can you imagine his readers? Uh, Yeah, Paul, you just said something wrong here. Circumcision is outward and it is physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So Paul was answering the question that the Jews had. If Abraham was not saved by circumcision, why did he need to be circumcised? Abraham is a father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised. Paul is stressing a spiritual circumcision, not a physical circumcision. Abraham was justified by faith. Believing Jews and believing Gentiles are justified before God. Now, let us all turn to Genesis chapter 12 and look at this together. Genesis 12 is written in such a way that Abraham does not get any credit. And that is there for a reason. He doesn't get any credit. Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1. Specifically, I want you to focus upon the seven I wills that God gives in Genesis 12. Now, Yahweh said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If there is one thing we need to understand here, we need the Old Testament. Okay, I'm not grasping for straws. I am looking back saying, if we want to understand here why we sang a song when I was a child about Father Amy had many sons and many sons had Father Amy, I am one of them and so are you. Understand this, this is a promise that God gave through a man, Abram, who was later named Abraham, that is going through to continuing to go through. And if you're saved, you have also attached yourself to this promise by God's grace. Verse 4, so Abram went to Yahweh and told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people they acquired in Haran. And they went out to go into the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to Yahweh who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country of the east of Bethel and pitched his tent from Bethel on to the west of Ai and the east. And there he built an altar to Yahweh and called upon the name of Yahweh. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Najib. So picture this. The Lord shows up to Abram and says, Abram, this is what I want you to do. Go and do it. And how old was he? You're asking a man of 75 years to gather everything that you have and leave. 
That's a huge ask. 75. I want you to leave everything that you've ever known, everyone that you've ever known, all your comforts, all your life, and I want you to go. I'm going to do this with you. So in Genesis 12, it's written in such a way that Abram does not get any credit. His salvation is not because he obeyed the Lord. His salvation is because he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then in Genesis 12, what you have is all these I am's. Sorry, I will. I will. It's Yahweh saying, I will show you the land. Just gather all your stuff. I will show you the land. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will give you this land to your offspring. Hebrews 11, the by faith chapter, it clarifies this even further. In Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him in the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. You know what age that was? 89. 89 years of age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. That's what I love. I love hearing that. That's kind of morbid. No, this is amazing. Like, like God gave a promise to such an old man who was as good as dead. Were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Why would God do this? Why not a young man? Because it's not about the man. It's about God and what he did. And our calling is no different. It is all of God. He brings the spiritually dead to life. And this promise to Abraham included a people and a blessing. A people who will believe because he, God, will do it. As well as people who believe, who believe and are blessed. It is a people who are blessed because their faith grabs hold of the righteousness of Christ. That is what it means to be blessed. So the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, he keeps hammering this. And I know you're probably thinking, the pastor, he keeps preaching the same thing over and over and over again each week. Yes, there's a reason for that. Like when Scripture does this and it says it over and over again, Paul is building up his argument over and over and over again. There is a main purpose behind that. The reason is that justification before God is the greatest doctrine in which we as ungodly creatures must get right. We have to get this right. Because we will all one day stand before the Lord and if we get it wrong, it has eternal consequences. 
Maybe you think I'm over-exaggerating. I'm not. What you believe about God is truly the most important thing about you. Because if you believe that God will justify you because of some work that you have done, you are not justified. If we know the one true living God, the God of God's holy word, the Bible, we must get justification before him correct. Millions of souls are working for their salvation. Millions of souls are trying to, as we hear over and over again, tie their own bootstraps and pull it up correctly and tie it right so that they hope they will be found in good standing, hoping that they will make it to heaven. Millions are living their lives uncertain of their salvation. And possibly there might be a few in here this morning. When Scripture is clear, you believe upon Christ and you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Belief is a matter of the heart. Believe upon Christ and be saved. The reason Paul keeps hammering this over and over and over again, and this is where the beauty of the precision of God's word and the clarity, it it still astounds me this day. Paul is laboring over and over and over again to a group of people whom he has never met, but he loves because he wants them to come to faith in Christ. He's explaining every detail, every caveat, because he knows the intellect of them. But this is also my plea. I am laboring over and over and over again so that God's people would know that they are God's people or they would come to faith in Christ. They would repent and they would believe that the blessed life is for all who believe because understanding and having the good news in your life is the greatest of all blessings. Now go back to Romans 4, verse 11 and 12. That brings us to the third blessing. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So the blessed life is lived by those who walk in the footsteps of faith. This is where it gets fun, right? You're talking about the blessed life is for those who walk in the footsteps of faith. So it's not just knowing something, it's also doing something. It's doing something with what God has given you. That's why I believe so many in the American church, they are just hearers of God's word, but they're not doers of God's word. Being a doer of God's word does not save you, but true faith will result in the doing of God's word. Abraham was called by God. God did it all, as we learned from Genesis 12, but we also find an active faith from Abraham's life. Abraham was called, 
Abraham was sent, and Abraham packed his bags, and he left. His faith got to work. If we are saved, the faith that God has gifted to us is an outstanding, living faith. It is not dead. It is a faith that grabs hold of Christ's righteousness. It is a faith that is active. It is a faith that is continues. It is a faith that walks us in sanctification until the day of our future glorification. It is a faith that works. As we discussed last week, faith apart from works is dead. Our mouth can say one thing. Our mouth can say that we believe in Christ without our heart actually believing. True belief in the heart will flow to our lips as well as to our life. That's why James said, I'll show you my faith by how I live. That's why Paul, before he died, he was able to write a letter to Timothy and say, you have seen how I have lived. You go and do likewise. Look at me, at the example that you have in me. Faith alone justifies, but faith from God is never Alone, It gets to work for the glory of God. Faith from God is a blessing because we are justified before him. Faith from God is a blessing because we can read and understand the word of God. Faith from God is a blessing because we can now please the Lord. You see, we have faith now that God granted to us. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. With faith, it is possible to please God. Faith from God is a blessing because we can live as we were created to live, enjoying God and glorifying God, which is what we were created to do. All the uncertainties of this life fade away when God gifts faith. Because when we read his word, we know what God has done, we know what God is doing, and we know what God will do. Every promise God has given It will be completed. And one day, our struggles in this life, they will be over. They will all be over. And our faith, as we just sang, will be sight. But as long as we are here, the blessed life is those who walk in the footsteps of faith. And so I want to be clear about this. About the blessing of walking in the footsteps of faith. Blessing does not mean an easy life free from trials. It does not mean that. Maybe you were taught that. It's wrong. You are not above your master. Jesus was persecuted. His life was not free from trials. Blessing does not mean a comfortable, untroubled life. It's not about the here and the now. In other words, the Bible and the American dream don't go together. We're not trying to have enough money so we can retire and have a white picket fence around our house and have everything in order, and then we, and we die doing nothing for the Lord. That's not the goal. Blessing does not mean the promise of health. Blessing does not mean the promise of health. Some of those godly men who have walked this earth had a young life. And they died at a young age. Blessing does not mean the promise of health. 
It is not about the here and the now. It's about eternity. As God's children, we are not above our master. Therefore, as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, Indeed, all who desire to live, 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We should expect as Christians to suffer. That suffering may come through health. It may through, come through many different other avenues. But the blessing of salvation is also the calling to live for the Lord. It is an active, working faith that does something. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 16. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know what this means? This means that as your pastor, there are things in my life in which I must daily deny. I have to take up my cross, and I have to follow the Lord. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We are called as Christians to lose our life for Jesus. Our life was once lived for self. Now we are to live for the Lord. Our life now is to all be about Christ. Just as Christ declared with his lips, I have come to do my Father's will. We are to do our Father's will. Christ has accomplished it all. Amen. Christ has accomplished it all, but we are to live for him. True life is only found in Jesus Christ, but true life is also only found in living for him. Otherwise, we're not really living because we're acting like we're dead. The blessed life is a redeemed life. The blessed life is for all who believe. And the blessed life is lived by those who walk in the footsteps of faith. Now, as you're walking in those footsteps of faith, you're going to stumble. You're going to fall. You're going to go through difficult times. You're going to have to have brothers and sisters in Christ come behind you and to spur you on. You need encouragement. You need chimes of pruning. And the Lord's going to discipline you. All that is wrapped in. But you're going to walk in the footsteps of faith because God will see to it. The blessed life is for those who are in Christ, not just know about him. So I want to look at eight passages from the New Testament, five of which come from Romans, about those who are in Christ. So you may want to write these down. Romans 3, 23 and 24. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So redemption is not anywhere else. Redemption is in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, 5 through 11. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. 
We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, 22 and 23. But now that you have been set free from sin, have been, become slaves of God. That's beautiful. You've been set free from sin, but you're not free to do whatever you want to do. You're free to be a slave of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not just knowing about Christ, it's those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So you're not free from the law of sin and death if you're not in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Is it because of anything that we've done? No. Not at all. It's because of him we are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is what another theme that Paul has been going back to over and over and over again. We don't have anything to boast about except the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteous of God. Philippians 3, 7 through 9. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. And this is where we all need growth in. You and I have not counted everything as loss because of of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. It says, For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, and order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So the blessed life is for those who are in Christ. So the question is, are you blessed? Are you in Christ? If you are not, from your heart, cry out to the Lord to save you. Because you are in great, great eternal danger. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Believe, confess your sins. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Because Christ is everything, not just for salvation. Christ is everything for your entire life and living for him and your sanctification and your future redemption. Christ is everything. For without Christ, you are condemned, which means you are dead in your sin. And because your sin separates you from God, if you do not go to Christ, you will have God's wrath poured out on you. There will be much weeping and the gnashing of teeth in this place of unquenchable fire, because it is a place of eternal punishment. That's why it's so important that we get justification correctly. If you are blessed, it's because you are in Christ. Live for him. 
Walk in the footsteps of faith and glorify him. That means examine yourself to God's holy word. Hold up every area. Flush away all the excuses that you have and live for the Lord. Because as a Christian who has been saved, if we are not living for him, we are not worshiping him. Our urgency to glorify and enjoy the Lord is found in our justification. The fact that we are in Christ, that gives us the urgency. And this is what you find in Scripture. When God saves a person, you don't see a person not living for him. Therefore, we cannot put forward that excuse. The blessed life is the redeemed life. The blessed life is for all who believe. The blessed life is lived by those who walk in the footsteps of faith. So Christian, we have already received the greatest gift ever possible. Ever. The greatest gift that you could ever receive has already been granted to you if you are in Christ. God's grace has, been, has given us faith, and that faith takes hold of the righteousness of Christ. Worship Him. And if you're here and you're not saved, your justification is not based upon Christ and Christ alone. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation because we're talking about eternal matters. We don't just live and die. We live and we die, and then we face judgment. And Scripture says, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, but not everyone will enter heaven. It's only those who did the will of the Father who were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. Jesus will say to many, depart from me, I never knew you. It's all about perspective. It's about the perspective of realizing and understanding and comprehending. Knowing about Jesus is not enough. Satan and his demons, they know about Jesus. Satan and his demons know that Jesus is God, but Satan and his demons, they do not submit to Jesus as Lord. They have not repented of their sins. They have not trusted in Christ and Christ alone for their salvation. Knowing about Jesus is not enough. We must also live for him. That's why we find the words, repent of your sins and trust in Christ and Christ alone. So Christian, we have already received the greatest gift possible ever. If we have received that gift, let's live like we have it. What can the world do to us? Therefore, live a life that pleases him. Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for the gift of justification that is found in your son, Jesus Christ. As we think about our own lives, we can go through the list hour by hour. Lord, I don't deserve it. Lord, I don't deserve it. But praise be to God that you have redeemed us by the blood of your Son. Lord, and for those who are here, no matter how many years they've been in church, no matter how many church services they've attended, Lord, I pray by your Spirit that you would convict those who are not redeemed of their sin.
draw them to yourself. May they call on you, placing their faith and trust in you and you alone for salvation. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.